Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Alst from Strata Central. Hey there, Rena. Hi Amanda, how are you going? I'm doing well. I am looking forward to our chat. It's been a few weeks. No doubt you have experienced many challenges and hopefully a couple of wins in that time. Let's jump in to your chosen challenge for this week. Hit us, Rena. What's been challenging you? Well, with the environment that we're talking about in relation to hackers and, you know, Optus and Medibank, um, we had one of our engineers who was hacked recently It actually transpires that someone had hacked into his email account and asked us to change the bank account details of the invoice. Now, the way that it was written, it was, as I said, it was from the same email address, the same style of writing. So, you know, sometimes when people, you know, you get a different email from someone else, you think, hang on, it doesn't sound like that person. The way he wrote, Mm. obviously the, the hacker had seen how he'd previously communicated, so therefore he was able or she was able to um, copy exactly what had been done. So then I thought, oh, that's strange. So then I sent that to our accounts manager. We actually had the invoice on the hub and it had been approved and I had to sort of basically stop the invoice from being approved, went back and said, can you please, you know, make sure that you change the bank account details. We wrote back to the engineer saying, thank you for letting us know. It was, it's been approved but hadn't left the account yet, so we've made the changes and um, we're arranging payment. And so I would say about maybe two weeks later, we receive an invoice from the engineer saying, I haven't been paying. And I'm thinking that's strange because I do recall seeing it on the hub and everything like that. It had come through the banking. And I said, we've already, you know, you approved it, you paid it, you told us that you had a new bank account and we stopped it. And he said to me, oh, no, I've been hacked. Anyway, and so now since that time, his wife rang and sort of got really angry and sort of started screaming at me and saying, you know, like, you need to pay this invoice again. And the committee have said, well, we don't believe that we need to pay it again because it was paid under the assumption that the email came from the person who um, had sent the invoice, which was his email address exactly. There wasn't any. Sometimes with hackers, I think we've been told and you can see it, there might be, you know, like a slight difference in the address. It could be a missing letter. And anyway, he wants us to now pay it again, and we're saying the Owners Corporation is saying no, and I'm actually saying to him, well, can you can you provide legislation that provides the proof that you're entitled to be paid again? And of course, he says, oh, well, I don't have to do that. It's it's up to you. You've got to pay the invoice again. So that's where we're at at the moment, Amanda. We're at a bit of an impasse. So have you had any issues or experience, Amanda, with any clients that have come to you about these types of things? No, I haven't. Not yet. I'm sure it's coming. Just to clarify, you've said that the invoice was on the portal. Your committee was about to approve it. You then got contacted by the engineer who said, don't pay it. We've changed our bank details. These are the new bank details. You then upload the new bank details, approve the payment of the invoice to the new bank account. And it turns out that that is the hacker's account that they have set up to receive the funds. That's correct, Amanda. Look, I find it difficult to understand why this would be the owner's corporation's problem, let's say, to put it bluntly. 
I would hope that this contractor is insured for this kind of event and it's a good reminder to all of us to make sure we have this kind of insurance because if we are hacked, if we are the subject of cyber fraud, which is what this is, then indeed our clients are not to know and maybe paying money to the wrong account through no fault of their own. And if we want to get our money, hopefully there's a policy of insurance we can claim on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Amanda. I mean, many years ago, I remember I chose the wrong bank account details when I was making a personal payment. Um, the person had changed company names and I chose the old company name rather than the new one. And then the, then I realised when I was told that I, they hadn't received the payment, then I you know, realised, oops, I've chosen the wrong one. And the money went into someone else's account, which obviously then I could not retrieve. So even if you make a legitimate mm mistake and the person has profited by your mistake, then the bank really at the time said to me they had no recourse to make that person pay it back. And that's sort of a legitimate mistake as opposed to a cyber incident, as you've said, which has been the hacking thing. So I think the committee will be happy, Amanda, to hear that. I mean, that was always our position, but we just wanted to make sure that we were on the right track. Look, I think you're on the right track. If it's something that is pressed, then indeed seek some legal advice on the point. But I would be surprised. Do let me know. I'd be surprised if the onus is on the owner's corporation to pay that amount again. Mm. Something for us all to be aware of. There's a lot going on at the moment in that respect, isn't there? I don't want to say too much more than that. (laughs) And nobody is safe. Let's say that either from a corporate perspective and protecting your own customers' data and in respect to your personal data. I think we all have to accept that it's not a matter of if but when. Mm. My challenge for this week comes from a listener who has posted a question under one of our past podcast chats, Rena, over on the website. Richard tuned in to podcast episode number 333, which was our chat about a few different things, but including the taking of minutes at meetings. And we had a bit of a debate as to how much information should be included in meeting minutes. That sparked lots of very insightful comments over under that episode on our website and a few more questions, one of which is this. Richard has asked, what do you think of general meeting minutes which record that the diagram annexed to the minutes relative to an air conditioning installation in this example is actually different to the diagram that was circulated as part of the notice of meeting? So what happened at this meeting is that the diagram was amended to correct a technical error And the minutes record that indeed the diagram was amended and that the amendment does not change the purpose or the intent of the bylaw and the amended diagram is minuted as being annexed to the minutes. Rena, I imagine you have been in this situation before as a strata manager where maybe a bylaw or a document attached to a bylaw was amended by agreement at a meeting and therefore what is in the minutes is different to what was in the notice. How do you approach this? Well, normally there's an amendment to the bylaw. Let's say in in this case, if there's a reference to a diagram, then that should be then reflected as an amendment in the minutes as well. So that amendment should have been put to the vote as well as the bylaw. So therefore there was two aspects to this. And it shouldn't just be noted as a correction when you get the minutes as opposed to having that discussion 
and that proposal being put forward to all owners in relation to the change, irrespective of whether it's technical error or not, I mean, that's not really relevant. I've got at the moment actually a bottle that was passed last year in June to allow changes to be made to two apartments and the external facade. They're taking out the sliding doors and making it bigger and both apartments are going to do it simultaneously so there's the uniformity with the building. That was then approved by council, but since that time, um, there's downpipes that have been discovered where some drainage goes into that. Therefore, those plans now don't apply to that bylaw. And now we're actually having another meeting to actually resolve by special resolution to amend those plans so that the plans that were applicable for the bylaw last year are no longer applicable now. And therefore, we're going to have to change the plans that were next to the original bylaw. So, yeah, I mean, if I'm understanding it correctly, Amanda, that should have been put to the meeting if there was any technical issues relating to the diagram that should have been put forward and that, and that should have been all been minuted as part of the um, resolution when it when it came to the, the bylaw and I so that the lawyer would be asking when they're doing the consolidation for a copy of the agenda in the minutes and I would hope that they would also mm-hmm. pick that up. Yeah, it's a good point. That's an important distinction you're making there, Rena. It's not entirely clear from Richard's comment here whether owners were surprised by this amendment when they received the minutes or whether this amendment was actually discussed in the meeting. So I do agree with you. If there is going to be an amendment to a motion or the terms of a bylaw or a document annexed to a bylaw, then that amendment should be put to the meeting to vote on. And then if the amendment is accepted, then the amended form of the motion or the bylaw with the amended diagram is then voted on. That is indeed the correct way to go about it. I'm not sure that's what happened in Richard's building. And therein lies the benefit of detailed meeting minutes. (laughs) Yeah. It's always the case too, like when these things happen, Amanda, and people at the time don't think much of it, but later on if something does happen or there's a someone's not happy with something or another owner buys it and changes it or whatever may be the case, that's when you find, yeah, the minutes are um, really important. Or if you're an ANCAT, that's definitely somewhere you'll find how you minute things is really important. So um, I think sometimes people don't realise that. They think, oh, you know, oh, they're just minutes or they don't take, you know, even signing minutes. I mean, people don't sign minutes and that's something I really find strange where, you know, the chairperson doesn't sign it. I mean, even now electronically, we always ask the chairperson to send us a signed copy of the minutes because before when you're at a physical meeting, you get them just to, you know, sign the minutes there and then. But now obviously when meetings are held by Zoom, it's a bit harder. But, you know, you have to sign your minutes. I mean, again, if it ever goes to NCAT or quarter anything, the first thing that they're going to ask for is sign minutes. And I remember years ago at my previous work where a manager had left and we and he was the chairperson at a number of meetings when a court case arose and we had to basically get those minutes to him and get him to sign them because the lawyers on both sides wanted signed minutes. So, yeah, another sort of mm. thing that gets forgotten, I think, when it comes to minutes. Yeah, interesting. And at the very least, if not signed minutes, which I appreciate may be difficult in our modern age as things are getting flicked back and forth over email, people don't have printers, scanners, the ability to insert electronic signatures perhaps. For our strata managers, I think at the very least it's incredibly important to have a clear written instruction from the secretary, is really the correct person, approving the minutes because I know most strata managers who are attending meetings will draft the minutes of the meeting I know some strata managers who then simply issue the minutes, say these are the minutes, everybody, without seeking that instruction from the committee or the secretary in particular. But I know other strata managers who do make a point of doing that and it's so important 
for your own protection as a professional and should the minutes be questioned to have at least that email from the committee or the secretary saying, yep, the minutes are right, they're good to circulate and indeed at the next meeting there is a motion put to everyone present at the meeting to resolve to adopt the minutes of the past meeting. I think also in this case, Amanda, perhaps, you know, even if the secretary was provided with a copy of the minutes before they were disseminated, they may not be aware of the requirement to minute amendments and the way that amendments should be minuted. So as a layperson, the secretary may not be aware that that's what should have happened if it hadn't been provided in draft form. So yeah, it's another consideration. I think as lay people, you know, they obviously would rely on trial managers to provide that expertise in relation to minute taking. Yep, lots to think about there. More on the plates of our strata managers and our committee members. <laughs> What's your win for this week, Rena? Well, my win for this week, Amanda, has been um, two recent AGMs for buildings um, that are actually small. One thing is six lots and one is um, nine lots, where both buildings raised special levies in excess of 120000 just without any dissension. So it was really quite surprising that some people, I think some buildings are taking their obligations to repair and maintain common property quite seriously. And also realising that, you know, if you do this drip feed sort of way of trying to raise levies when there's clearly so many outstanding issues, in this case one was a roof replacement or, you know, repair perhaps. Um, the other one, when obviously they didn't have enough money when that we took them over. So we've been, you know, obviously doubled their normal levies and then we put on, I think, two special levies and they said, no, we need to, an extra instalment of another 30000 And I'm thinking, wow, this is good. And then another building, you know, I just did draft budget and I did, you know, I thought, oh, they're going to probably say no because I really, I increased, you know, their last quarter, their levies by 100000 So it's a lot of money for a scheme of nine lots. And I thought, oh, they won't take. And then another special levy is required. And I said, oh, maybe half that amount. They said, no, no, double that. And I'm thinking, okay. And at the meeting, <laughs> there was not one person that, you know, dissented. And I'm thinking, because people could see that the work was needed. But you always have people that don't want to pay even though they, they know that work is needed. And it's just, it's the first time I've come away thinking, wow, like, that was easy compared to having to really explain to owners, you know, why they needed to raise extra money. And and, um, and also these levies are just, the special levies only due like I think a month after the, the regular levy. So it wasn't as so if there's a lot of time in between the payments. But I think people are realising, I know obviously this doesn't apply in old schemes, but it was just refreshing to see that some of the issues that are being raised, I think, in different forums, like if you don't, if you can't pay for it, don't own it, which I think Michael Tears mentioned <laughs> on your podcast recently, Amanda, which was music to many of our Australian managers' ears, um, then it's just I think seeing that sort of play out in, in meetings was is really a wonderful experience for a Australian manager. Yeah, that is great to hear. And I have my own example of having a similar experience recently, which I'll share. Before I do, though, I do want to point out to our listeners that for once, that is not my dog barking in the background. Rena Van Oust, do you have a dog? No. <laughs> I thought it was your dog, Amanda. Nope. Let me just take my. <laughs> Can you hear a dog barking? Yeah, I thought it was your dog. There's a dog in. The... Amanda, when I pull these out, I don't hear a dog. Oh, hang on, no, I can hear it now. <laughs> Must be outside. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, I don't have a dog, but there's a dog in the vicinity. Oh, that's a shame. I thought maybe hell had frozen over or there were pigs flying outside your window and Rena got a dog. See, with the earphones, I just can't. I thought, oh, that must be Amanda's. You know, like I just yeah, goes. everyone does. That's why I had to point it out. So it's not my fault this time. <laughs> sorry, sorry, listeners. It's my environment. <laughs> <laughs> All good. All listeners welcome, including of the canine variety. Uh, now, yes, 
at my AGM this year, we had an increase in levies, as I have to say, we do most years. And it was significant. We're looking at replacing our lift in a couple of years' time. We don't want to be facing a special levy or needing a strata loan at that stage. So the committee had looked at the budget and there was, I think it was about 80 grand extra going to the Capital Works Fund saving towards that lift replacement. And a couple of committee members were cautious about that, a little bit anxious that it wouldn't be supported. And the same as your experience, Rena, it went through unanimous approval, no questions asked. Of course, we explained the budget and explained what the additional amount was for and everybody understood, accepted and approved it. So indeed refreshing and I hope this is a sign of the future attitude that some, if not most, of our strata lot owners are going to have towards their corporate responsibilities, another term used by Michael Tees when we spoke about this topic. Mm. Well, actually, man, I didn't even have to explain anything. I just said, oh, you know, like anyone have any questions about the budget or the levies and I won't ask anything. So that, I think it was even easier than, than your experience. I didn't have to even explain yeah. anything, which is, again, I think a, a sign that people are looking at, they looked at the financial, that they could see that the, we had expended so much money this year in the capital fund that we had not foreseen. And therefore, we had to do something about it. So it was just good that people didn't have to be reminded of their obligations, Amanda, and at least I think it is definitely a step in the right direction, I think, for for schemes if they're now thinking like that. Mm. Excellent. My win for this week also has to do with meetings and good governance and corporate responsibility. I like it when our topics line up, Rena. A strata manager listener of ours and also a member inside our online community recently shared with me an article that he thought may be of interest. His name, I know he doesn't mind me mentioning, is Russell Young from Young Strata Management, longtime supporter of what we do here. And Russell let me know that he was recently listening to one of our member calls which is one of the benefits our members receive. They have the opportunity to have a one-on-one, one-hour chat with me. That chat is recorded and then the video goes inside our member library for our members to watch and to learn from. And in this particular call, I was chatting to a group of Strata committee members who were looking to change Strata managers. And I talked them through that process and also we discussed some of the processes that were happening in their building. I made some suggestions and recommendations as to processes that weren't happening in their building and why they might have been having some trouble communicating with their strata manager and getting their strata manager to do what they believe needed to be done. And Russell had a watch of that call and reached out to me and said that it was a great call and it reminded him of an article that he wrote a few years ago on the same topic. And it led me to click through and have a read of that article on Russell's website. I'm going to link to that in the show notes for this episode too, so you can go and check it out. It is titled Solving Underinvestment in strata, governance and meetings. And amid a number of good points Russell raises, I've pulled out a few to share with you here today. Russell says that whether you realize it or not, your owner's corporation has an identity and a reputation. Tradespeople remember their experiences. Strata managers will have a view on each owner's corporation and so will the owners and the residents based on their experiences. If there is no prevailing management culture, ideally from a committee of benevolent and rational members 
who invest a bit of time having meetings, making good decisions. It is easy for one or two people to step into the power void and end up making life hard for everyone, either through indecisiveness, corrupt use of authority for personal gain, ego satisfaction, financial constraints preventing proper repair and maintenance, or many of the other forms of dysfunction. Those risks are higher without a good committee continuing over time and bringing new members into the right culture. Russell also concludes his article with a recommendation to stay match fit. His words, keep having committee meetings, he says, even when there aren't major problems, even infrequently, if you don't need them more often, those meetings foster a sense of community and keep up the knowledge and practices of proper governance. They provide transparency and the opportunity for other owners to contribute when issues they care about are being considered, and this reduces the risk of disharmony. Being familiar with meeting practices means that your owner's corporation will be more agile when it needs to act quickly against unauthorized renovations, behavioral problems, or any other time critical issue. Now, those are just a couple of gems from that article, and I do encourage everybody to go over and have a read of it, maybe even share it with some of your neighbors, fellow committee members, clients. Russell, as he said in his email to me, is echoing many of the things that we say here on this podcast about functional committees, peaceful communities, and how we can all strive to be better in strata. That's very interesting, Amanda. I think it's a great article. And I think that some strata schemes don't really see the value of having their strata manager at the meeting. So that's something that I've been sort of observing in some of the chats that I come across, not obviously within the, the circle of, of schemes that we manage, because I think most of our buildings, you know, do see the value in having the strata manager at their meeting. But I, I know that from other chats I've observed, where people think that it's a waste of money having the strata manager there or they don't add value. So, yeah, I think that's one of those things that I think the value of the strata manager and perhaps in guiding the strata committee is an invaluable one because, as we talked about just before in our meeting, taking minutes. I mean, sometimes I've seen minutes of committee meetings where there hasn't been a manager attending and you just can't even make sense of what they're saying because it's all just like point form and dots and you think, well, you know, reading minutes from the perspective of someone who's outside that wasn't at the meeting, you wouldn't really understand what was happening. So I think that the value definitely, I think, is there to have regular meetings, but also to have, even if it's not necessarily a strata manager, sometimes some buildings do have good minute takers. So someone that has a skill of being to articulate just the decisions and some background discussion that may give more context to a decision being made for certain matters on an agenda and minutes. Mm. Indeed, one of the points raised by Russell in his article is that regular meetings and detailed minutes are a great defence against misinformation and unfair accusations and that bullies in strata often thrive on a lack of transparency, on secrecy and on misinformation and having regular meetings with detailed minutes, meetings that all owners are invited to attend and contribute to can prevent, if not quickly stamp out, that kind of antisocial harmful behaviour. So really great way to think about things. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the way, Amanda. That's a good, good reminder, I think, to us all in terms of, of that where you have that sort of disharmony in some schemes where there's certain people that are trying to 
wage their own um, agendas, so to speak. Mm. Great to chat with you here today, Rena. We have covered a fair bit of important strata ground as we like to do. I'm going to let you go now because you have a hungry canine to deal with somewhere outside your apartment. <laughs> you know, Amanda, I've never had a pet in my life, so it's definitely home. I know, that's why I'm teasing you. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining me. Looking forward to catching up with you next time. Thanks, Amanda. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? today?